Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. This show is brought to you by Flatiron's Tuning, your source for any aftermarket or OEM Subaru parts. Be sure to check out our store at flatironstuning.com and stay tuned with Flatiron's Tuning. Welcome back everybody to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. We're here today with Tasso and DP. This is episode number 112, I think. Um, sure. I'm going to say it's 112. I think that's right. All right, so the topic for conversation today, this has been, I've seen this come up more recently, and I think it's because so with the used car market, with SCIs going up in price, there's there's a, new, uh, a resurgence of people that are talking or debating, does it make more sense if you want an STI to just go out and buy an STI, or should you build your own STI? You know, get a WRX, you know, a GC, whatever, and then build the build the car that you want rather than just go out and pick up an STI. And yeah, I mean, I think that landscape has changed and it's worth a conversation. So, just to kick it off there, what do you guys think? What is what is your initial thought? I like the idea of putting my blood, sweat, tears, and various you know other fluids from the body into a car <laughs> like that. Like. Yeah. I mean, like, look at my Forester. Like, I, I had these, you know, delusions of grandeur that I was just going to make a Forester SCI because it didn't come to the U.S. market. Mm-hmm. And so then, now, many years down the road, it's obscene and loud and sits in my garage yeah. a lot. But I, I love the idea that I had some skin in the game. Right. Like, literally. But also, you know, because I can take pride in the work that I did. And then, if something goes pear-shaped... I probably had something to do with it, so then I'm accountable for it. Well, and in, in that case, you you took a platform, a Forester, that you know came with turbo, a turbo engine, but it was not, it was, a, you know, not exactly an SCI power plant. In the performance that an SCI would have was not really in that chassis. Like there was no options uh, to get an S uh, Forester with you know SCI Brembo's and that sort of thing. And so you you basically built that yourself you yeah. created something that didn't exist mm-hmm. so Tasa, what do you think build build one yeah i think i am as somebody that basically built an sti effectively or close to it as well i kind of lean in that direction um for a long time i kind of was of the opinion that it didn't make as much sense to a certain extent, because like if you're gonna go the whole the whole way and try and do the transmission swap and the brakes and all that sort of thing, it would be less expensive to just get the STI that started with it. But being able to have your hands in it the whole way and and do something that you want to do, that's there's a big plus to that for sure. Like so for me, WRX wagon. At the time, the STIs were sedans. I still really like having the space of a wagon, so that was kind of like your motivation with the Forester. That was part of my motivation, too. Um, but then beyond that now, I think that there's an advantage in being able to like pick all the pieces and, and pick and choose what you're putting in there rather than starting out just with the STI framework. I think now, if you, if you just like the STI, I mean, the STI is an, is an amazing car. So there is definitely a reason to start with an STI, but like if you really want to pick and choose and, and design the car to do something else, I think that's where a lot of the advantage can come from. And Tasso, maybe you can speak to this too, like especially if you want to go out and race the car. Yeah. That's where actually building something up has some advantages because 
be, what you're what you're gaining by starting out with an STI is a bit less if you're really going to modify the car extensively. Yep. Yeah. All right. Done. Awesome. Wow. Man so many words, words today. Yeah. You just. No, so yeah, it's important to think about what you actually want when you're trying to make this decision. Um, the STI by itself is a fine daily driver in terms of its performance level and comfort and stuff like that. Um, it's below the threshold of a performance car as it is already. So mm -hmm. if you're going to use it as a performance car, you're going to replace a bunch of stuff anyways, so you might as well not pay for the expensive stuff in the first place. If you just want to own an STI or you want a nice daily driver, something that's nice and comfortable and can cruise in traffic with the AC on and stuff like that, yeah, go get a go get an STI um, mm -hmm. because it's great at that. I mean, that to, to me, I think it, like that that's the sweet spot for an STI. Is like it, it is definitely the most capable Subaru out of the game, like from the factory, and for like an entry level to mid level track car especially something that you're going to daily drive and then drive it to the track sometimes mm -hmm. it is the most capable but if you really want to start going beyond right the, like building the capability of the sti up then that's where sometimes it makes more sense it could make more sense to start out with something like a wrx yeah what what have you yeah when i just wanted when i first got into this whole thing and i thought i just wanted just a nice quick daily driver you know something better than my old truck to drive to work and I live up in the hills, right? So a lot of my commute is twisty roads. Um, what I wanted was an Evo 9. Um, yeah. And then those are crazy expensive and hard to find that aren't just jumped yeah. out. Yeah. So I was like, fine, I'll settle for STI. And then I found out those were just as expensive and just not necessary. Yeah. So I got a WRX um, at the time because all I thought to myself was, oh, it's got slightly less motor and one less gear. It's essentially the same car. Yeah. They're not at all the same car, I think, right? No. In terms of OEM cars, and the original. And it's not just it's not just another half liter. It's not just a set of brakes. It's not just one right. more gear. Right. Every part of the car is slightly better on an STI yep. than it is on a WRX. Yeah. Um, I think that's an important thing um, to remember. I in, have never had an STI, like an off-the-shelf one, so yeah. I don't know, right? Uh, if if I would be happy with that as a daily. I know the WRXs are not satisfying as dailies. Mm -hmm. um, I, don't, I, would just, I was perfectly happy with mine yeah. for many years. It's, I mean, and so, right, yeah, <laughs> it, I would totally be fine with, like, a, a base 90s Honda Civic, too, for sure, a lot sure. of daily. I mean, I'm now in a first-gen legacy that I'm trying to get reliable enough to daily and stuff like that right, right? so it's, there's multiple tiers here at work um yeah. but think about this too in terms of like not just the subaru cars but like the ford raptors right like it's mm. should yeah. you for the price of a ford raptor though you could make a much better off-road vehicle than what the raptor is Right. The Raptor's yeah. cool because the factory actually talked to some off-road guys and then right. took what they said and dumbed it down and, and made a Raptor. Um, and the STI is cool because Subaru actually let some insane people go off there and, and make cooler versions of their cars, right? Yeah. Um, but the Raptor is not an off-road race truck and the STI is not a race car. Um, right. And so if you want cool stuff, 
you know, get the the white car, right? Get like yeah. the the cheap car. Yeah. Get the whatever. The and body make and white. It, yeah. Yeah. Body and white. The, the, um, the Raptor is a really interesting analogy there because I mean I think, like that's that's even a more extreme difference. Like mm-hmm. like it's any kind of standard F one fifty to a Raptor. Like mm-hmm. wow, those are those are two very different vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the SCI is closer to the WRX than that. But Very it's impressive. But that's that's the thing to think about because, you know, for a lot of people the advantage of getting something like a Raptor is you go to the dealership, you buy it, mm-hmm. and it's it's like probably the people that come in and, and that want a vehicle like that, it's ten tenths of what they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or more than, right? They, they want the image, yeah. they want the coolness, they want the fender flares. Right. Like, oh, it's already got tires on it, sweet. I don't have to go to yeah. my four-wheel parts and right. and go get these things. Right. Um, so, and, and that's, like, I think the STI fits that as well. Like, again, like, for what the STI is, I mean, mm-hmm. I think if that's what you want, then that's, that is a great, yeah. I mean, that's a great package from the factory. But then if you want to go racing and you know that, well, I'm going to start with this STI, but I'm going to take all of this stuff off and I'm going to have to replace all of this stuff. Right. And go back all the way through it. It's like, well, yeah. you know, like that—that's where the calculus starts to come in. I mean, you could, you could, like, really get, you know, down to the nitty gritty and say, like, well, you could sell a lot of stuff off the STI to help pay for hmm. some of the, like, you know, yeah, but like, you bought it in the first place, and you're right, never going to make money back unless right. you're really good at hustling, right? Yeah, you paid right. the STI tax effectively once. Yeah. Why yeah. would you take yeah. a loss on all the other stuff? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking like. It just just even basic stuff if you're going to start really tracking the car like if you're if you're going to put a cage in the car heck even if you just want to put a harness in the car which you know like a, a rear hoop or something like that you're going to have to get rid of the seats mm-hmm. so the advantage of the nice sti seats you're not going to be able to take advantage of that you're probably going to have to take out a lot of the interior which is nicer in the sti so you're not going to be able to take advantage of that mm-hmm. and if you really start tracking the car a lot you're going to need to upgrade the brakes beyond what the sti came with so you're going to have to you know, upgrade the brakes and spend, mm-hmm. you know, a couple grand on brakes at least. Mm-hmm. Again, like, all these things could be sold to kind of soften that blow. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're still going to be going through and replacing a lot of stuff. Right. Yeah. And you can go out there and drive to the limit of that OEM equipment, but you can also go out there and drive to the limit of a lesser spec OEM equipment too, right? Yeah. If that's what your goal is, just to get out there, then yeah, go get a Honda yeah. Civic. Um, but... Well, that, okay, that makes me think of something else. Mm. The barrier of entry. Like, if, if the price, if you want the STI and you want to go and use it, you want to go out there and drive it, track it, but the price of the STI is such a high barrier of entry that, well, I'm going to have to save up for a year, two years, some amount of time just to get the STI. That might be another part of that calculation. And, I mean, for me, that's why I got a WRX. Because I could get the WRX, I could afford the WRX, I couldn't afford the STI. That got me in the car now. And then I started just driving it, and then, you know, you just kind of refine it over time. But it lets you start using the car, start trying to drive, you know, learn to drive, drive to the limits of this more attainable vehicle, and then kind of develop, modify, and have the vehicle grow with you versus just kind of start out at a, at a higher level. Yeah, it's like it's an, it's an evolution of that car because you start out with the you know, base WRX, yeah, like stock little tiny brakes, somewhat squishy suspension, 
you go out have a ball and they're like you know what what else can it do yeah you know what what if i do this differently or what if i drive it slightly differently than i was driving it see where those limits are and then you're like well first you know driver mod yeah then you know your brakes and suspension tires start adding in things just kind of slowly adding and adding and adding until you've got this car that costs maybe the same as the you know, the STI was but it's so much better on every yeah. level like like Tosso was saying like yeah. you make something that's truly great at what it does because you learned with it and then you have way more fun like smiles per mile right in it mm-hmm. as well as like you know the investment's like okay well it was still $30,000 but I've got you know like two piece brakes and I've got I've got a six piece swap and all these things in there yeah. that you've done over time so you didn't just immediately dump 30 grand and then you're like well now what mm-hmm. right how important and i guess we should say we're biased in all of this because we've all taken a car and kind of turned it into what we wanted it to be but how important is it to to have that experience rather than just find the thing and then you know you never touch you never really touch the car modify the car change the car it's just this the car largely as it came off the sharing floor is is what you have Versus taking the car and making it, like improving it in the ways that you want to improve it, making it drive the way you want it to drive. I mean, making it kind of your own. How important is that a piece of the puzzle? I think we are, as we've talked to you in many episodes past, we are the niche. Yeah. We are the, you know, the lesser of the whole. Because there are people I know that have like a bone stock or, you know, like, one guy added water meth, but that was the only thing he did because yeah. the STI was what he, exactly he wanted. And so he just drives it. He tracked it with us, did all these things with it, just as as it was as a stock STI, and he had lived his best life with it. Yeah. So I think we, you know, we do kind of exemplify that enthusiast mindset where we want to make it do all these things. Right. It would almost behoove, like, talking to the average Joe, like, well, what do you what do you want to do with your car? And a lot of people are going to say, I want to get in, I want to get gas and maybe maintain it. Right. But I mean, even like with my wife's car, I take it to a shop. I don't do the service work on it. Yeah. But then like with my cars, I will, I will put the stuff into my car. Right. Because myself. that's, that's your car. That's what you're driving every day. You, yeah. You want to have the experience of actually working on it. Servicing. Right. And her car is really, you know, fairly new. It's 2018 and it's very nice and I don't want to mess it up. Because <laughs> sure. It's, it's got some extra expenses with it. Yeah. That I'd rather have the professionals deal with that than sure. qualifying. Mm-hmm. But it's almost the opposite. Like, I, yeah. I don't know if I would trust anyone else to build a race car for me. Or I, I would have that. to work through some sort of getting to know this person or some sort of vetting process to trust someone else's work. Um, yeah, because uh, the the amount of factory touch stuff or dealership whatever um, that is just not right is, and when that like matters to your safety, um, that that is a big thing. And I think that's one of to your point, like how important is it for you to build your car? Um, you know, like the identity of it, the the whatever, like a. Uh, taking it as your own like your child kind of thing because you made it kind of thing it's mm-hmm. like it's less important to me um as much as the you need to be familiar with your car and if you build your mm-hmm. car then you put your hands on every nut and bolt on that thing um, right and so then yeah you're confident not only that you can fix it when you need to because you will need to but that you can build the skills to fix it correctly 
or you're confident. You're not sitting there in the car like, shit, I hope that brake banjo is tight. Or, man, I, I wonder when the last time someone checked that subframe bowl was um, because it was yeah. you and you remember it kind of thing. And that That's a that's actually a huge point, which is if you, if you take a car and you put a lot of time and effort into taking parts off and putting parts back onto the car, doing a lot of work, making a lot making the changes to the car, your familiarity with all of the pieces and the nuts and bolts and everything that goes into making up the car goes up, mm -hmm. I mean, exponentially, versus if you get something like a, I don't know, like a Porsche GT3, like a, a basically from the factory race car, and you just put gas in it and you drive it, the familiarity with what 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 was that noise did i just hit something or did something come mm -hmm. loose or is this totally normal like what mm -hmm. your your ability to kind of one understand what the car is doing goes down mm -hmm. but but two like yeah if it breaks like your your skill set your understanding your ability to actually you know sort out what the problem is fix the problem you know wait like is this is this a red flag like i should pull into the pits right now mm -hmm. or is ah it's probably not a big deal or, or something like that. I mean, it's it's just that's a that's a very different experience, right. a, a very different level of familiarity and understanding of, of the car, you know, in those two different experiences. And you have some sort of awareness of what exactly the repercussions are going to be if you continue to ignore that sound on track. Sure. Right? Like because you're aware, like, or you ignore that warning light, like, ooh, oil pressure warning light, whatever, do, 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 right. do, here's some money. Right. And you never really have a, like, but if it's right. oil pressure warning light comes on, you're thinking to yourself, man, it's going to be a motor. I'm going to have to buy bearings. I'm going to have to probably get machine work done. I'm going to have to get out, like out these machine. wrenches to pull off that part and then to pull off this part. And I know I can do this done in two days. Where do I have two days to do a motor real quick? Mm -hmm. And you're starting to think about that whole process. Then you're like, well, no, nah, I'm going I'm to turn the motor off and stop real quick because maybe it'll save right. me machine work and I can get away with putting oil in it or adjusting yeah. bearings as opposed to replacing case halves because you just yeeted some rods. Kind of yeah. Thing. So, um, well, and I mean, it, I think that that's working on your own car is one of those things where I think there's a lot of people in the Subaru community that that is, that is one of the reasons that they got a Subaru mm -hmm. because they are relatively speaking easy to work on very straightforward like you look in an engine bay of a subaru and you kind of you know what you're looking at everything is, is kind of clearly there it's not hidden tucked away or put behind you know in, in incredibly tight spaces by certain german engineers that you know were designed to function but never be worked on um but there's some people that that's i mean that that is not a drive you know they the goal of a you know, learning to drive better, getting the car, whatever. It's it's not to also learn how to work on the car. Right. Sometimes those can be separate things, but sometimes those can be similar things. I'm in the car because it's the best package for performance that I need. Sure. Like, there's not a better... I'm not paid by Subaru. Because Mitsubishis are slower and more expensive, and two-wheel drive cars are slow. And okay. there's just... I mean, I'm even in a GD because it's the fastest chassis. Yeah. So, um, you know... Yeah. For me, that is less important, but yeah. but that was entirely my thought process. Um, yeah. For like you know, the most most recent race car build was, I had a blank slate, right? I could go to right. you know, any manufacturer, any chassis, any generation within that, 
um, and pick and then within that even any model any starting point right and it was mm-hmm. very much not an STI I was looking for I was right. looking for wrecked Impreza shells um, right because right. those are going to be one to three hundred dollars well and, no one cares so you're, <laughs> um, let's let's just circle back just to make sure that people understand what we're talking about here because so you had you had an accident with your previous hill climb car rally mm-hmm. car and so you it was not repairable and mm-hmm. so you've now been building Putting putting together the next car, the next mm-hmm. chassis, and you know, because you rolled the car, like most most things from that chassis were not salvageable. Like you you have to do a new cage, you you really have to take everything out of the car and build up a new chassis. You have to start over. Yeah, yeah, I know it's um, you know it. Yes, that's a good summary. Yeah, I, I looked at like you know GC um, chassis because of the lightness and stuff like that too. Um, but just some of the chassis stiffness stuff and right. really the overall dimensions don't really change. So you pick up a little bit of weight, but a lot of chassis rigidity. And then also I just have I had there was a factor in staying, um, you know, kind of with the same basic shape um, because I had a lot of parts that that fit it. Right. Um, but it's uh, it was never even a. A question in my mind whether to build or buy um, because there's just not a buy option for competition at that level or, yeah. or, or what I was looking for or my taste and what I was looking for in the car so well and even speak to the fact that what you were looking for was a wrecked car like something yeah. with the with a straight chassis like yeah, you're probably straight looking straight for enough <laughs> a relatively straight chassis or or something where like it's it's got a blown engine and a million miles on it yeah. so like it's it's a straight car yeah but you're going to be taking out basically everything except for the shell like yeah, i knew i was going like, down to one to two layers of sheet metal and nothing that could be removed anymore right um to put the car together so so there's never even a thought in my mind oh i should spend the money on more expensive base car to start building kind right of thing um so i mean that relevant to this conversation that's where like you're you're not looking for a running sti to then turn no. into a rally car no. because the purchase price of the core shell then becomes mm-hmm. so much higher that the, the cost of getting a car a race car put back together to, so you can compete again is yeah right exactly. i mean you, what you're you're probably going to be into your new rally car for about the purchase price of a STI of an STI yeah, yeah. which is and that is fudged because there's a lot of parts being reused right That's um, fair. so like the transmission just needed some repair and it was good to go so I'm not having right. to buy a whole other six-speed swap and stuff like that right same with the um, suspension so there, there was, yeah. there was so things there, that moved over there's stuff that moved over and that kind of that makes it easier um, yeah but I mean it, so I thought about this, and even I, I looked, and this is the closest direct equivalent to the builder buy thing was used chassis from other racing teams or okay. outfits, right? Sure. So that's everything from pro drive chassis um, mm-hmm. that are kicking around Europe um, to you know ex Vermont sports car cars, yeah. other rally cars being sold and stuff like that, which is out there. I mean, there's not as They're many out of them, there. but they are yeah. out there, and. Um, you know, even some of the, there are weird STI factory chassis that just kind of like pop up every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, like Sam Pickering has a, yeah. um, a really cool X. Spec C R A. Right now, yeah, it's a Spec yeah. C R A, but it yeah. was like it has like it had an oil tank in the passenger footwell and stuff mm-hmm. like that um, because of how cool that the R A stuff is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah, there's, there's cool other stuff out there that pops up, um, and a lot of the work is done, but I had such a specific idea in mind of what exactly I was looking for that not only could I not afford any of the stuff that did pop up, okay, because at okay. the end of the day, it is really cool. Um, yeah. yeah. But even those had compromises or little things that I would still would have to do to it, so I started yeah. cheap one with a $300 shell, um, yeah. because that way... I can spend that extra $100,000 on grinding wheels and, yeah. and welding wire. Um, one, one of the funny things about race cars is once you build one and live with it and, mm-hmm. and race with it, you, you, you learn a lot of things that you only know once you're running a race car. Mm-hmm. Like, you, uh, you, you posted pictures on your Instagram recently about uh, going down for the new car and getting fitted for the seat placement for the cage, for mm-hmm. instance. Right. You know, it's like on our on our rally car and our Pikes Peak car as well. Like with with the type of seat that we're using, with the with the halos, the, the head head support. Um, man, the placement of the seat is such that it's really challenging to get in and out of the car. Like once you're in there, you're fine. But like to get in and out because of where the cage runs and where the the head supports are. It's challenging for me. Yeah. Um, so, like, little things like that where, like, hey, if we ever do a cage again, we're definitely not going to do X, Y, or Z. You mm-hmm. know, we're going we're gonna to make that better. You know, and yeah. you don't know that until you get in and live with the car. And so sometimes, like, you're looking at a, a pre-built race car, like, maybe the cage is not the way that you'd want it to be, or you'd be making a compromise on seating position again. Yeah. Or, like, you've, you've run three different suspension setups or brake setups or whatever, and they're running one of these that you realize, well, I'm not going to use that. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah, there's, I mean, multiple things there, right? Like, getting for us one to... thing, just as many, you know, potential, you know, just as many dealership techs as there are out there that really don't know what they're doing. There are just mm-hmm. as many race car building outfits out there that don't know what they're doing, too. Right? Sure. There are really good ones. And if you have the chance to, like, get to know people, then you can figure this stuff out. You figure out who to trust or not. Um there are race car building outfits that I would trust to buy a used race car from, and then there are plenty of race cars out there that I would not. Um, yeah. yeah that's and, fair. like, I'm happy with the car I'm building because I know every step that's going into it and I trust this process, right? Um, yeah. And part of that is, like, positioning my seat for me is a unique challenge. I'm not especially tall, I'm only six feet tall, um, mm-hmm. but I have a really long torso for my height. And so sure. I have the torso of, like, a mid six foot. You know, six to you know, six and a half foot tall person, mm-hmm. um, and so I've always had problems getting my head away from the roof, getting myself low enough in the car. Right. Um, and like we're mounting my driver's seat like almost straight to the floor of the right. car, um, just to give a lot get of more head headroom room. up yeah. here, and also get me as low as possible for center of gravity and all this kind of stuff like that too. Yeah. But well, um, like the other thing that I think of is you're you're now going to use a pedal box, mm-hmm. whereas before you've been using the factory pedal box and yeah. clutch mat and brake master cylinders and stuff. Um, even even that is a learning thing. Like I think we've only we've only ever used the factory pedals assemblies in mm-hmm. any of the cars that we've run, but going if if we're building another car, like now really know how much of an advantage it can be from driver position from seat position to run a pedal box so that you don't have to you're not locked into where your feet have to right. work the controls you can now move that back a couple inches and that that can make a massive difference in terms of like yeah. like 
space that you have, um, getting the seat position so you can get in and out of the car much more easily. Yeah, um, center of gravity stuff, stuff too. Yeah, um, you know, I could only really get about probably four to six inches further back than I was in the last car, but yeah. that's that's yeah. a lot. That's yeah. not insignificant. That's not insignificant. I mean, even like just to make it easier to get in and out of the car, a couple inches, even an, even yeah. an inch or two yeah. would make a big difference. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. let's let's maybe bring it back to like the oh, SDI versus that stuff. Well, well, I'm just well. thinking like let's say you want to just build a a a car. The, you're going to drive on the street, but you want to take it to the track sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, would you still lean towards getting, you know, an Impreza or a WRX or something like that and then modifying it versus just starting out with the STM? Legacy RSRA. Well, sure, yeah. If well, you can, if you can find I mean, one. Yeah. yeah, if you find the unicorn. Uh-huh. Yeah, it does not exist. <laughs> no, I, <don't> know. <laughs> yeah. I would totally just start with something more base like it did. Yeah. And bring it to the levels that I want because it's going to still be a street car. Like I can still put the car seat in mm-hmm. or fold the seats down and put things ish in it because it's still a Subaru, but it is boxy. So, you know, yeah. I Usable. can put stuff in it and haul it around. Whereas you know, like if I bought an SCI, like, you know, it's, it's great, you know, there's you know, mm-hmm. $30,000 and it's fun, but there wouldn't be like, we're talking the experience. Like, you know, a lot of what I focus a lot of things on is the customer experience and the end user experience. Yeah. Would I have had the same fun if Subaru had brought the Porsche STI to America? Probably not. Like, you know, that, you know yeah. like, there's something that was really fun about that 444 gear set that I sure. shattered because I'm <laughs> I'm a hooligan. And, yeah. But it was a lot of fun. I sure yeah. sent it. You know, but starting at, like, square one and, like, making it exactly how I want, I think, is the part that was exciting to me. And I hope that's exciting to, like, this next generation of drivers and things is, hey, I can start with this and yeah. make... This and even with like green speed being what it is, you can still take a street car and make it really, really fun without adding infinity Brazilian horsepower because you can improve steering response, braking response, handling. You know, the, the visual yeah. aesthetics are all, all fine and dandy, but I would actually even fun. argue that mm-hmm. taking power off the table makes it even more important or beneficial to starting with a car that is less capable initially and learning how to make it more capable. Because there's, I mean, there's a lot more information about building power than there is about getting the suspension set up on the car, dialing and handling, getting your your wheels and tires to really work. Look at the misinformation on chassis stiffness out there about Subarus. Like, well, you got to buy this subframe and this subframe and make sure you run your U-brace. And, well, other places don't have U-braces. And we'll buy this you know, everyone in the world had some sort of weird underbody bolt-on thing. Yeah. You know, it's just dumb. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I mean, weight's a part of it, too, but, yeah. like, and, and learning to drive. Like, really learning right. to drive the car and figuring out what works, what doesn't, where where the car needs improvement, where, where you as the driver need improvement. You know, like, bringing, you know, an STI for most of us is probably more car than we really need or, like, it, it's such a good chassis that you're going to get in there and it's going to be hard for you to get, you know, to get to the point where the car itself is a limitation for a while. Um, but because of that, it's, it's harder to figure out what those limitations are. And then like, well, what is, what is really going on here? What is really going on? Like do Subarus really understeer? Is the understeer really as bad as everybody says that it is? 
or is there more to it with this understeer thing than 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 you know yeah and, and, uh, it's it, that is a complicated one i think like that gets applied just kind of blanket across all supermodels and stis or whatever like gaskets yeah. Right. Well, even if you look at the the super or the SCI suspension, they super changed it through the years, and some of them have like slightly better setups than others. Um, and I think even Super realized that you know they really needed to you know make the front suspension work a little bit better as the STI developed through the years. Um, you know, and so on and so forth. Although but, like, I think the Bug Eye WRXs are one of the more neutrally handling cars. I'm yeah. gonna argue. Well, the the SA suspension was probably optimal from 04 to 06. Mm. Then it went down. At the little, little rear sway bar. Hmm? It had the smaller rear sway bar, and that's dumb. Only in the WRX. The STI had square setups. Did it really? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The STI was always a square setup, but it went it started out as 20, went down to 19, and then it, there was an offset because of the multi link rear suspension starting in 2008. Oh, I think 2008 plus isn't relevant. Okay. Well, then <laughs> that's a whole another topic. Um, but there's there's just an advantage in, in in kind of like figuring out like making changes like an anti lift kit, changing the front suspension geometry, improving things, and like really seeing what the difference is and learning what those things are. Because then now you're really getting to the the nitty gritty of what makes the car handle, what makes the car stop, all those sorts of things yeah. that you just kind of miss if you just jump into a car that just does all of that naturally. So. I agree. I'm sitting here yeah. trying to think how much time I have left. A two, couple minutes. Two minutes. Two minutes. <laughs> now Tosso's two minutes. Yes. No, I'm trying to think, is, is there a car, an OEM-ish or a special model that is worth buying versus building? And I'm, I'm, I'm going through trying to think if there's any car you could have actually got, like the homologation brake kits and stuff like that from the Group N era. I don't think anything came with any of that stuff. It was on the parts catalog for homologation purposes. But, I mean, yeah. you can go to, like, you know, all the RA stuff. Yeah. Well, RA's think... got nice brakes, didn't they? Um, yeah. Six pistons. Yeah, yeah, they did. I think what it comes down to, because we, we are on a time limit here, so we need to wrap this up, but I think what it comes down to largely is what your what your goals are doing with the car. You know, what what do you want out of the car? What do you want out of the experience of, of owning the car and driving the car. Like, is it, do you really just want to kind of do a little bit with it and have it be something that you're not working on and, and fiddling with that much? Or do you really want to get in and learn it? Yeah. And, and then how far do you want to go with the, the competition or with the track driving that you're going to do? Is it something that's just going to be for fun? Or is it something where you want to like continue to like take it to a higher level mm -hmm. and build? If you want an STI, go get an STI. If you want to build a race car, get a cheap car. I think they're they're both good <laughs> options, but uh, I want an STI. Yeah, I would, I would love to have an STI. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I just hasn't been in the car. Don't yet. really want an STI. Like I, I uh, like what Forrester, I've got. Guys. Yeah. yeah, we're weird. <laughs> we keep it we keep it square. Well, it's, twenty-one millimeter square. Yeah. Well, I gotta <laughs> say, like a wagon versus a sedan. Like, there's there's some things that a wagon can do that a sedan just can't. Go slow. Like everything. It's more aerodynamic. Mm. Wagon yes. life. Yes. All right. Well, let me just start the podcast. I'm my fist bite. All right. <laughs> Not my pretty. Fist. In the comments below, uh, first, let us know what you think. Do you think it is better to build your own STI or to buy one, and and why? And then, 
Why? How many ways can you say that sedans are better? I don't know. It's, it's just, yeah. And, if you want to get a okay, minivan, go get a minivan. Are sedans better than wagons or wagons better there than There are turbo four-wheel drive minivans and to solve all your Forester problems. So. No. The turbo four-wheel drive minivan? That sounds what? weird. I, but Subaru. Want to get? Why well, not? I guess the Forester is a yeah. turbo four-wheel drive minivan. Kind of is. Uh, Especially now. Yeah, now. For oh, sure oh well, no minivan. I can't think of the minivan. Like SUV, sure. Like tons of them. But what? What are you thinking here? Are 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 we going all the way back to the the Astro Turbo? No, they're out there. All right. If you know the a turbo all-wheel drive minivan, also put that in the comments. But get excited building about building your guys' cars out yeah. there. It's a whole lot of fun and very rewarding. Yes, absolutely. If that's what you want to do, there's there's no better way to go than that. All right, and with that, we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you very much for watching. Thanks for your support as always. Check out OTC Racing because Tazo is building this new rally car. He's chronicling the build um, on his YouTube page, on his uh, on his social media. So definitely check that out. So thanks very much for watching. Thanks for your support as always. Until next time, stay tuned to Flatirons Tuning. Thanks everyone for tuning in to the Flatirons Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. Once again, we'd like to let you know that your support is what makes this show possible. Be sure to check out our online store at FlatironsTuning.com for any of your aftermarket or OEM Subaru parts needs. And as always, stay tuned with Flatirons Tuning.